Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. It took two years, but finally, finally, the Ravens have managed to beat the Steelers once again. So welcome to the UK Ravens podcast. My name's Shane Richmond, and I'm joined this evening by two friends I met on the internet, Ian Domain and James Ogden, um, one of whom I saw very recently at the uh, UK Ravens meetup, and uh, the other one, James, I haven't seen quite so recently. How are you doing, guys? Good, thanks, Shane. Yeah, doing, doing well, John. Um, and uh, Gaz is, well, he was last seen heading off into the snow on Sunday night and nobody's nobody's heard from him since. Um, no, okay, that's not quite true. He's just indisposed this evening while we're recording. Um, how, tell us a little bit about the meetup, Ian. How did, what, how did it go? What did you, what did you uh, make of it? Yeah, I, I thought we had, we had a good night. We had a, a, a good group of us. Um, hopefully some of you might have seen the, seen the picture that's been doing the rounds on, on social media. Uh, it was about 20 of us, I think, down at the Moortown Bell in London. Um, and it was a, a really nice venue, actually. They, they did indeed have a very large screen, maybe not the largest in Europe, but it was, it was certainly very visible from where we were, where we were sat. Um, and it was a, as I said, a nice big venue and we were pretty much the only people in there. So we had the run of, the run of the place to ourselves. Uh, that I thought they looked after us quite, quite well. They, they brought out some quite questionable looking shots at one stage, which I, managed to decline and, and pass around to everybody else. Um, probably why a few of the boys ended up in, in a little bit of trouble come the end of the night. Um, and, and we saw a Ravens victory, which is always nice. It is always good. It's been, we had a, a run of meetups where we've ended up with losses or am I? Yeah. I know it you, hasn't gone well for a while. The Huddersfield one was a win, wasn't it, James? Yeah. And to be fair, the Detroit one from last year as well was a, was a beautiful victory, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that's true. So maybe it's just the ones I've been to that <laughs> I managed to return and, and not be a jinx this time. Um, and yes, it was good. And then I kind of went out. People were saying it was snowing, and I kind of thought it was that sort of London snowing where it kind of lands and then disappears. And I left the pub, and it was like a couple of inches of snow. Uh, and there was no, there were no trains back to where I live. So that was uh, an interesting journey back home. But uh, still, you know, South London is uh, is a world away from central London, apparently. Um, so, uh, so yeah, thanks to everybody who came along. We will be doing um, more of those next year, definitely. And uh, who knows if the season continues into the playoffs, then there may be something. Uh, something coming up before uh, the end of the season, but we'll see how that goes. Um, so let's get on to the game then, and uh, maybe James, we'll start with you. It was for the, the Ravens' offense kind of started in uh, a little bit of a, uh, a weakened position with the absence of Lamar Jackson. But um, how did you think it went with Tyler Huntley at quarterback for the sort of the first um, the, the first quarter or so of the game? Yeah, it went fine. I think. I think it was it was a good reminder of the kind of the, the limits of a Tyler Huntley led Ravens offense um, this this week. I think uh, you know he showed he is a very he's a very competent backup. He were very very lucky really to to have him, but there there are limitations to what he can run. Certainly with the the level of weapons that he has at his disposal, um, he just doesn't you know he he struggled to find Andrews all night and, and that, that really sort of hurt the, the, the passing offense. 
I, I feel like he did a he did a decent job, um, sort of marshalling the game. But like I said, it just shows the limitations. Uh, Lamar is able to make much more of the of the weapons that we have, um, uh, and yeah, it just it's it was a it was fine, uh, and obviously it was it was very much buoyed by the by the running game. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Ian, I mean, it was a, a, a real clear example of what J.K. Dobbins brings to that offense, really, because it's hard to imagine that they would have had quite the day on the ground they did if he hadn't been able to come back from injury. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I, it's obviously great to have J.K. back, and I, I we'll come on to it. And I think we have to give Ronnie Stanley some some love as well. You look at the, the sort of run game numbers with with him in in the side and against, and they're vastly different. But but having JK back just just gives the Ravens that something else that they they don't have. Gus is that bruiser. You, you need a yard, you're going to give it to Gus, and and he's going to bruise. But JK's just got that ability to to sort of break that big run, hasn't he? Um, and it didn't take long for him in this game. I think he got the start and and he got carries early. Obviously, with Lamar out, they were going to lean on the run game. Um, and, and he did break off that, that big 40 yard run. And it, and it's not the top speed. It's the sort of the acceleration, the burst and the vision that he has at the line. There was no, I mean, there's a gaping hole. The O line did a great job for him. There was, there was a gaping hole for him to go through, but, but it's that initial burst and that getaway. And, and sort of three quarters through that run, I started to worry because he, he looked a bit gimpy at the end of the run. And I thought maybe this is it. He's going to have one big run for the day and, and then we're not going to see him again. But I think maybe it was just that that sort of first first go, that first contact, and he and he got that out of the way. And I mean, a hundred and twenty yards was it? That that can only do his confidence a world of good. He he had to have been slightly concerned about about that knee. Um, I think the the pictures have already gone round in the, in our WhatsApp group of his of his repaired knee, and it's got some lumps and bumps on it, and it it doesn't look the best. But if he keeps putting up a hundred yards on on the ground, we'll uh, we'll all we'll be happy. Yeah, you do look at that picture and wonder what exactly they've put in there. But I'm assuming it was done by medical staff and not like small children. So we should assume that that that's what it's meant to look like, I guess. There's a Lego brick and an army man. and Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, the thing for me with Dobbins that is the is the most most refreshing is, um, is second level vision. So when he gets, you know, he's, he's you're right in like... The, He's he's able. They were opening big holes for him, and he obviously is he's pretty competent at finding that finding those gaps. But it's it's the way he sets up um, second level blockers, and the way he you know one of the sort of more um, underestimated traits of a running back is is a running back's footwork, and they're able to manipulate defenders very very well with their with their feet. And he's just very good at at, at springing at, at using his blockers at the second level, and and turning those three or four yard runs that the Ravens are blocking up. To much much longer runs, and, and when you're in a gap scheme like this, where the focus is on sort of getting you through the line of scrimmage, you know, in other in other schemes like zone blocking schemes, you'll see offensive linemen climbing to the second level, getting on linebackers and, and, and opening holes at the second level for for those running backs. In a gap scheme, you know, you will get it with with pullers, but it's just it's not as uh, systematic, and so the running back has to create a lot more at the second level, and um, he just does that. That's why his yards per carry. Is is really you know it's it's a bit ridiculous his yards per carry when he's been healthy, um, so if if this is him sort of healthy and and all of the stuff that's come out has been about him 
sort of not sort of rushing back, not really understanding the limitations of his body when he first came back, not really understanding that he wasn't quite right, really wanting to just get out there. And it sounds like he's sort of taken a bit of stock and that this time he actually is ready. Uh, and it, it showed, you know, if he, if he, if this is him down the stretch, they have a real chance of winning some games without Lamar. And then they have a, the, 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 the ridiculous thing about this that I think we really haven't seen apart from in small flashes in his rookie year, in Dobbins' rookie year, we haven't seen the, the, the way this offense changes when he and Lamar are in the backfield together. The two of them are such a threat um, running the football that it opens up so many other things. And it's not because obviously Lamar, Lamar's ability, unique ability opens up lots of things for the offense, but having Dobbins alongside him, and with the way that they run run their some of some of their option attack, to have the two of them there is 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 really you know it's a bit of a game changer. So I, I just can't wait to have them both back. And it say, it seems like we'll have them both back for the playoffs. So fingers crossed that we don't get any more more issues. Can can I just give a shout out before before we move on? We we set up a, a group for Gaz's get together, his meet. So it's all Ravens fans apart from Jake. He's the one token Jags fan. And I was walking to the meet on on the weekend and a message popped up in the group and it was Jake, the one Jags fan, asking a bunch of Ravens fans whether he should start JK Dobbins in fantasy that night, about half an hour to go before the game. And everybody that answered him said, Do not start him. <laughs> So there's Ravens fans' confidence for you. <laughs> and did he start him? Do we know? He, he did. Well, good. So he did very well out of that, I imagine. 120 yards in a TD. Uh, and as you mentioned, James, uh, average yards per carry of eight for J.K. Dawkins, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, you were saying Mark Andrews was kept pretty quiet. Two for 17 for him in terms of receptions. Ian, there were only 11 completed passes in the passing game in total. Was that limitations of Huntley, do you think? Was that um, simply that they didn't need to throw the ball? What do you put that down to? Uh, I put that down to Huntley leaving the game. Actually, I mean they were always going to they were always going to run the ball anyway. I think they attempted seventeen passes. Um, I think after Huntley went out, I think they only attempted four, maybe after after Huntley left the game. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of that's down to have to, to your being on your third string uh, quarterback, who's a, an undrafted rookie, who you know you're just trying to limit what what could go wrong, really. So. Um, 40, 40 something plus runs in this game. Yeah, that I, I think if Huntley stayed in, those numbers would have been slightly higher, but but not massively. The Ravens were always looking to get up early in this one and, and to run the ball and play defense. And Demarcus Robinson did pretty well, five fifty-two. Deshaun Jackson two for thirty-four. It does seem as though with the Ravens' passing game. Once you take Rashad Bateman out, Mark Andrews is the only guy defenses are really worried about. And they do seem to be figuring out ways to take him out of the game, which makes it harder to to throw in any case. Um, James, do you think that's a problem going forward? Or do you think that's something that uh, it's, you know, it's a bridge they'll cross when they get to it? I think it, it is a problem. It is. It's a problem. It's a problem when the bridge comes up in the playoffs. That I mean, that that is going to be the issue when they need to be scoring points to beat out some of these high-powered offenses. I think, <clears throat> you know, the, the balance of the defense will, will help. Um, the balance of the defense being far better at this point in time will help. But you, you really do... 
they, they really do need to see someone step. Like Demarcus Robinson was was okay in this game. Like they 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 do need to see someone else step up. I feel to win some playoff games on the road deep into the into the tournament. Like I, I just it, you're right. They, teams are taking Mark Andrews away, or they're finding it easier. To, they are finding ways to take Mark Andrews away. You really do have to commit a lot of your resources to take Mark Andrews away entirely because he's too good. Not he's too good not to. Yeah, you really have to commit a lot of resources. I think the thing that is interesting in, in that that we that we will hopefully start to see a little is that you know the return of. I, I mean, I talked about it before. The return of Dobbins does add a different something else to account for, and the run and the pass do are symbiotic. It will you know it will help so that. They are teams will have to respect the Ravens' running game a little bit more, which may help to 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 sort of break Andrews out. There was the issue in this game, really, that you know Anthony Brown was in for so much. I think it was an interesting game from that perspective. But you know, if you bring if you bring Lamar and Dobbins in, and you've got the threat of Lamar's legs, the threat of Dobbins's legs, probably the threat of Dobbins as a receiver out the backfield as well, which is the other thing that's been missing from this offense really is is a is a great receiver out of the backfield and we've shown Dobbins that Dobbins has shown the flashes have been able to do that. Then you start to have some like a few more things that defenses have to account for and they can't commit everything to stopping Andrews. So I think there's a there is a chance. That the thing that's been con- a little concerning for me over the last few weeks is that some of these quieter games we've seen from Andrews have been against teams who struggle against tight ends, struggle defending the middle of the field, um and you know they they haven't found a way to get him going, so uh, they're going to have to find they're going to have to find other ways to get him because if they want to win games in the playoffs, Mark Andrews is going to have to catch eight balls for well over hundred yards, um, and that they're, they're going to have to find a way to get that done. You, you'd hope with the the defense taking Andrews away, like James says, that's opening up for someone else. And Isaiah Likely's just disappeared over the last couple of weeks. And he was the guy that I was, I was kind of thinking, well, Andrews gets back in. How can we find a way to get both these guys on the, well, they're on the field enough as it is, but how can we find a, a way to get this guy involved in the passing game whilst Andrews is on the field? And I think that's, that's something that Greg's got to, got to look at, got to come up with. Um, we know even Huntley, I mean, Lamar loves throwing to his tight ends, but Hunt, Huntley's the same. He's, he's not adverse to throwing to a tight end and, and, and use these guys. So as we've said, Hundley left the game in the third quarter with a concussion. He was, he was stood up and then hit, um, but it seemed to be more the way that his head went back afterwards that probably will have um, drawn the attention of the observer. But there was no suggestion from the way he left the game or or the way he seemed that he actually was concussed. As far as we know, he's, he's in the concussion protocol, but he is training with the Ravens. So, Hopefully he'll get the all clear and be good to go on Saturday, but it kind of depends a lot on uh, you know what you know what transpires with any symptoms he's experiencing if he is experiencing symptoms. So Anthony Brown came off the bench for his first NFL appearance, um, and th- that was on his own one yard line. There's there can't be I mean and in Pittsburgh playing for the Ravens there can't be more difficult starting points for your first NFL snap than that, can they? I mean, can you think of, I don't know, what's, what's the worst place to start your NFL career? You, you wouldn't have thought so, would you? And, I mean, everyone just expects him to, to turn around at that point and hand the ball off to, to the running back and, and and try and fight for a few yards. But but they actually called a pass play. And, he, and, he's, and 
it, I mean, it, it went for two or three yards. I think it was to Demarcus Robinson off play action from his own end zone. But he had TJ Watt and Cam Hayward bearing down on him. And it's it's a really important play in the game because it, it makes it second and about six, I think it is. And and Dobbins, I think, converts on, on the next play, gives him a little bit. I don't think the drive goes much further, but it just gives him that little bit of a little bit of room to punt, punt it away. You don't want to be punting from your own end zone. So I, I thought he did really well when he came in, just just really mature. Like you say, that that can't be an easy place to to come in and, and start. Um he, he had a really good quote that he said from his dad, which was something about, I mean, it's, it's the old Boy Scout thing of always being prepared, basically. Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but, but he, he seemed like a really sort of down to earth guy. And, um, I mean, we, we saw him in the preseason. He, he looked, he looked okay in the preseason. The Ravens didn't ask him to throw, but, but when, when he did have to make a couple of throws, he, he made them one to Andrews, uh, and, and he made another, another, uh, throw on, on that long, fourth quarter drive that, that ended up with the Ravens scoring a field goal. So yeah, I, I was quietly pleased with, with Brown when he came in. Yeah. And I feel like I, I have to go back and watch the tape, but I, I do feel like he, he made a couple of good decisions on option plays as well. So I, I, I was kind of, yeah, he, he did the job that was, that was required of him. Um, the Ra- the Ravens absolutely needed the running game and, and are going to need it over the next couple of weeks. Um, especially if he is going to, you know, if, if Huntley doesn't play or there's some issues and he has to play more snaps, you know, I, I, I think we definitely saw, like, there was a limited offense with Huntley. There was even more limited offense with Brown. But, um, yeah, he was fine. He was fine. I, you can't expect much more out of an undrafted guy who's, who's you know, who's, who's, a, who's not played in the league. I haven't been back and looked through your draft guy, James. I don't know if he was if he was featured, but was he a guy that ran around at Oregon? Was it Oregon he was at Oregon? Yeah, he he moved around a little bit in college as well. He um no he I mean he did run around a little bit. He's 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 got um a little bit of speed, but it's not a um yeah it's not necessarily his mo. He's 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 fine. He can do it. Um yeah, he was pretty underwhelming at Oregon. He, I didn't he didn't make it into the guide. Um. I, I have watched. I watched a few games of him at Oregon just in the course of watching college football, um, but didn't really study him, him in depth, particularly for the draft. And so, in the fourth quarter, he did lead an eight-minute, thirteen-play drive, fifty-seven yards for a field goal, which was absolutely crucial, and kind of shows that um, it's sort of like that Gary Kubiak offense, where you could insert pretty much any running back and they'd get a thousand yard season. It's almost with when you you get this running game going of Greg Romans, you could insert pretty much any quarterback back there and they can just keep that drive churning along. And um I guess, you know, the important thing is that he didn't make any mistakes. There were no botched handoffs. There was a um a fumble early on in the game from Tyler Huntley when was it Ben Cleveland who ran into him and, and dislodged the ball? But um but Anthony Brown didn't have any of that to deal with. So he was just running the offense and and keeping the ball under control which is exactly what they would have wanted him to do and not make any bad decisions basically it was um just jumping on um your point about ben cleveland it was interesting to see um we haven't touched on this yet cologne castillo rep in with him um and share that share the reps at right guard in place of zeitler that does for me does not really bode well for, for his future like if he's not coming in as the first man up at right guard. Um, that's a, that is concerning for Ben Cleveland's future. I, I'm, I'm surprised that they, that they repped Cologne Castillo in um, with him through this game. It just seems to me like that was a decision to 
get the best out of this game, but also to try and maybe give him a chance to develop, not hit his confidence too hard. But it feels like if if he wasn't a third round draft hyped third round draft pick, they may have just gone with Clon Castillo for the whole game. Um, so it, that was interesting to me to see that. Yeah, I think we have to give this O line some love. They've been they they've been a top tier pass blocking O line all, all year with with Stanley in or out of the lineup. They've been really good. Run blocking not so good without Stanley, but when he's in there, they're again sort of top top tier. And this is what Lamar asked for. They, he didn't go out and scream and shout and say, "Get me wide receivers." He screamed and shouted and said, "Get me an O line and, and let me work." And and they've put they've put it around him. And everybody knew, all, all the Steelers players knew, we all knew, everyone in the stadium knew. The Ravens were just going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball, and they still couldn't stop them. I mean, that's that's got to be maddening for a defense and just absolutely delightful for an offensive offensive lineman just knowing you're going to line up just hit someone move them off the ball and and run that thing all all day long and for a good defense as well you know the Steelers defense is is decent they're not it's not the kind of defense you expect to be bashed down the field quite like that I mean they've you know they started slowly and they've been working their way up to the kind of quality they have now but yeah certainly they uh they they will not have taken that well, I wouldn't think. No, they've been a lot better in the last few weeks. Um, you know, they didn't start out the season particularly great, but the last five six weeks they've been they've been pretty good. So they definitely won't have taken that well. I, I completely agree, and like I think the the offensive line. I don't know if we talked about it that much on the podcast, but Ben Ben Powers has just been a, a revelation, really, as a, as a pass blocking guard, um, and he's getting better as a puller as well. And, and what he's doing in the running game that has just been a breath of fresh air really to have him um just solidify that left guard spot out of nowhere like i'm not sure if you'd have asked me before the season is ben powers going to play 16 games at left guard and and 17 games at left guard and, and be you know be honestly one of the better best pass protecting guards in the league i'd have laughed at you um having watched his having watched his film over the last few seasons so that's been a huge boon to the to the offensive line and Linda Baum has had, you know, has had some, he's had some issues, but he's also faced a gauntlet of defensive tackles at center. Um, you know, he's got some stuff to work on, but this was a good um, advertisement for his game and what he can bring to the running game. There were a few blocks that were highlighted on the TV coverage that were, um, yeah, were, were really special blocks to, to, to open up, a, to seal a, seal a guy inside and open up a nice running lane for Dobbin. So it, 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 yeah, the offensive line is, is, is like you say, is playing at a really good level at this point, and and it will be a reason that they that they win if if they do win games in the playoffs, it will probably be on the back of, of dominating in the trenches. And over on the other side, um, the Ravens' defense also found themselves facing a backup quarterback after um, Pickett went out with a concussion early on in the game and um, was uh, replaced by a guy whose name escapes me, who was at the Bears. What's his name? Mitchell Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky. That's it. The brilliant Mitch Trubisky. Um, so he threw three picks. Do, are we putting that on great play by the defensive backs or um, terrible play by Mitch Trubisky or somewhere in the middle? What do you think, Ian? I think the Queen one definitely we we can put that down to somewhere. Patrick Queen's found found some hands from from somewhere. That that was a a great pick. Athletic. Uh it looked like a wide receiver out there. Maybe we should we should turn him onto the other side of the ball. Uh the Marcus Williams one was was a bit of a chuck up, wasn't it? It was an overthrow. I think I, I could have hopefully caught that one going over my shoulder. 
Um, but nice to have Marcus back and, and he makes a pick. And I, and I think the Roquan Smith one somewhere in the middle. I think he, he recognized the play and, and it, it's turned into quite an easy pick, but I think that's because of Roquan and, and his positioning and where he got to. So, I mean, Trubisky made some nice throws in this game. He just made some god awful ones as well. I think at one stage he was 11 of 14. So he'd completed 11 passes. One had hit the floor and two of them were interceptions. So, I mean, he, he can play Trubisky. He's just, maddening in that he'll, he'll give the ball away there's a, a he, it always reminds me of um there's a bit in the combine uh which we don't know is the the nfl combine when when all the draft prospects come together and run 40 yard dashes and all sorts of athletic testing uh where they uh, the nfl network coverage you'll hear them they run two 40 yard dashes and sometimes a guy will run a four six and then on his second most people run different times on their two runs but there's the guy will run a four six on his second run, they'll promptly go, he's a four six guy, um, <laughs> because he's run four six twice in a row. I felt like that's it's like, oh yeah, that's that's Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> he's incredibly efficient. And then he does stuff like that, which is just horrendous. It you know, it felt like he, I think even the Queen one, I think that I think the Ravens, you know, the, the scouting put report on Trubisky's pretty, pretty um pretty set in stone at this point now he just doesn't he can't he can't see underneath coverage from from linebackers on the backside. he just can't he just can't see it um and both of that both of those picks were, were pretty much made from that um and definitely rogue ones i think was was definitely on on on, te- on game film on film study so yeah it just feels like yeah trubisky was was mitch trubisky they got i feel the ravens got pretty lucky in the end um that it was Trubisky. I think Pickett has been playing a lot better over the last few weeks. And uh, the game plan, it will have been inter- interesting to see how the game plan would have been different if Pickett had stayed in the game. They struggled, I think, in that f- on that first drive and then started to get the measure of Trubisky a little bit more, even though he did still complete a lot of passes. So it feels like the game plan was going to be very different for Pickett. And it would have been, it's a shame. I kind of, kind of wanted to see the Ravens defense unload on Kenny Pickett. Maybe we'll get another chance in a, in a few weeks because I think I think really blitzing the life out of Pickett is is going to be the the recipe for a for a victory next time around. Um, but yeah, that that was uh, I was a bit disappointed not to see Pickett play in this game. Yeah, Trubisky is a little bit more composed, and there were phases I've seen Steelers fans saying. Oh, well, you know, we were moving the ball really well. If it wasn't for the interceptions, we would have scored. But yeah, the interceptions are also plays that you made. Like If you do that three times and that ends your drive, that's because you keep shooting yourself in the foot three times. Uh, and he was like that. He would just be making good decision, good decision, good decision, inexplicable interception. Uh, the Marcus Williams one being a, a prime example. Um, and also on the subject of that, Do we all agree that that was just an incomprehensible review by the refs? That they apparently, you need clear evidence to overturn the initial ruling on the field. So the initial ruling was a touchback. Marcus Williams caught it, went into the end zone where he was touched by a Steelers player. So they said, you know, his momentum had carried him into the end zone. That's a touchback. They reviewed it and then apparently found clear evidence that Marcus Williams could have stopped and run the other way up the field with that ball. And I've no idea what possible evidence that could have been. He caught it about the one and a half yard line and took a couple of steps into the end zone. I mean, it's just a completely baffling decision. And there were some pretty weird decisions by that referee and crew. There was also a very odd, 
roughing the passer, yeah, where they'd sort of... And, and Trent Green on the commentary had said, oh, well, I think it's also the way that he drove him into the turf. That's gravity, Trent. Like, he was falling <laughs> on the guy. It's not like he'd sort of, you know, spiked him down to the ground. And actually, I think if you look at it, he does try to kind of lean over to the side so he doesn't completely fall on him. But ultimately... What's he expected to do? I think this is a refereeing crew that doesn't really understand the concept of momentum. Like the whole, like the, just the physics awareness was completely failing the officials in this game. Yeah, there was definitely a quarterbacks union from 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 Trent Green on that. Really, it was just it was an absolute abomination of a call. You know, I'm fed up of these roughing the passer calls. It's absolutely ridiculous. I don't. I, it, 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 what's really galling, I think, is the way that, that Lamar Jackson doesn't get those as well. Um, it, you know, the sort of 50-50 ones. And then, and then the Ravens have had some awful ticky-tacky ones. Um, and that, yeah, the Marcus Williams one was an absolute joke. I just, I don't, I don't understand how you can... I, it feels like that, that might end up getting looked at by the competition committee. Because there's occasionally things happen during the season where they then come back to it at the end of the season as a competition committee and change the rules. And I just feel like if, if you can't interpret the gray area there, like it needs to be set in stone. It needs to be, you know, if you're running backwards and you catch it on the two yard line and you end up in the end zone, if you catch it inside the two yard line, it's not, a it's a touchback. If you catch it outside the two yard line and go in, it is a touchback. Like they need to make it black and white um, because that was just a ridiculous interpretation. It wasn't because all all uh, turnovers are reviewed. Um, obviously, that had to be reviewed. But otherwise, I think, well, like I say, you've you've know you've you've changed the ruling that you initially made on the field. So there must be some reason for doing that. But anyway, um, yeah, there's been some some odd decisions to to deal with in that game. Um, and we can also talk about special teams in this game because the Calais Campbell field goal block is potentially a game-turning play. I mean, if that had gone through, it's entirely possible that the Steelers would have won 17-16. They might even have won 17-15 if the Ravens had been forced to go for two and try and tie it. I mean, it could have changed the outcome of that game, couldn't it, Ian? It, it could, and I'll be completely honest, this is the one player of the game I, I didn't see. So <laughs> the, the Steelers drive stalled, didn't it, uh, in the red zone or wherever it was. And I thought, oh, this is a, a nice, easy field goal. Good time to, to nip off to the toilet. And I did. And I was, I was in there when I heard a big cheer go up and, and I came out to see that we'd, we'd blocked a field goal. Um, I have since watched it back and, and I think Claire's has, has put it down to the sort of special teams coach moving him around. Um, but I, I just wanted to give a shout to Claire's even playing on special teams. I mean, this is a guy that's been in the league as long as he has. The Ravens have got big, tall guys. Like Calais Campbell's huge, but they've, they've got other big, tall guys that could do this. It, Calais would be well within his rights to say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go out there and, and, and block field goals. He, he even blocks on when, when Tucker's out there kicking field goals. It's not just, you know, sort of putting his hands up and, and trying to stop the ball going over. So he's, he's doing all he can. And he, as I say, he'd be well within his rights to say, I think someone else should be doing this. Yeah, he's deservedly AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Um, he's adding, it's the first time he's been Special Teams Player of the Week, despite having blocked uh, several field goals over the course of his career. Uh, so, you know, that all helps to push him towards the inevitable Hall of Fame 
slot. Uh, on the other the other side of um, special teams, Justin Tucker is now the Ravens' all-time leading points scorer. James, this is usually usually falls to the kicker sooner or later, but it's quite nice to see him get that. Well, yeah, and 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 a crazy one to get over um, to get over on Matt Stover, who you know I think played till he was about sixty-two, didn't he? Um, you know they were they were rolling out kicker after kicker to take the kickoffs because he couldn't reach the 30-yard line. But whenever you needed a field goal from inside the 40, Matt Stover was money. Um, so to to overtake Stover, is, I think, is a is a real achievement. Like, I'm not sure I ever thought we would see that, having watched Stover's career so much. I, I, I didn't really think we'd ever see anybody overtake him. Uh, and so to, to get someone do it, arguably a long way from the end of his career, um, it feels like unless the Ravens draft and you know the next greatest kicker of all time, it feels like this is going to be the the point scoring record for the Ravens for a very, very, very long time. And a few other bits and pieces uh, to to deal with about this game. Um, Marlon Humphrey took some heat on sto- and social media for his performance uh, from himself. Uh, he said that he had a bad game, so you know makes a change from. Saves everybody else the hassle of, of, of insulting him, I guess. Um, what do we think? Do we think he was particularly bad? Did he, He's had a couple of plays where he got burned for big plays, but what do we think of his performance in that game? I think by Marlon's standards, he, he had a bad game, and, and he probably knows that. And I think if this is the one bad game he has for the year and, and the year he's having, then then I think we can we can let him off. The the annoying thing is it, it came against uh, George Pickens mainly, who's who's a guy that Ravens fans a lot of them sort of wish we drafted. He's a wide receiver, so it's quite annoying. It brings up that whole, you know, we should have had this guy. He should be a Raven. Um, and, and yeah, a lot a lot of the plays came up against him, but Marlon came out straight away and, and said himself that that he was a liability, I think was the word he used. Um, and as I say, this, this was by far his worst game of the season. So I think we can, we can let him off one. I thought Marcus Peters had a worse game, honestly. And particularly as, as the game started out, there were some instances where he was taking up some questionable positions, but also, you know, we always know he has that tendency to gamble, but he was gambling a lot and losing. Um, I thought he was sort of, if I was going to pick either of the cornerbacks to point the finger at, I pointed at Marcus ahead of Marlon. Yeah, I thought I thought Marlon w- was fine. Like, I, I think it's a little bit gamesmanship from, from Marlon coming out and saying he had a bad game. Because I think you're right, Ian. I think by his standards, certainly this season, um, that, that you know, it was probably one of, his wor- one of his worst games. But I also don't think that was necessarily a bad game by any stretch. I, you always get the ridiculous overreactions on social media about always oh, said Marlon Humphrey's a joke. And it's like, well, no, he's not. He's been an absolute shutdown corner for the most of the season. Um, and you've sort of seen him get beat a couple of times. Corners get beat. Like, you can't, you have to, if you think a corner is never going to get beaten, you have to completely adjust your expectations. Um, it's just, it just doesn't happen. And there are going to be times when they get got. And he got got a couple of times. I, I you know, I, I'm not really. I think the thing is the the thing that happened with those Pickens catches as well is that Pickens, you know, contested catches can go both can go against you occasionally. You know, the the times when we've been slightly concerned about Marlon, it's been when he's been getting beat, sort of in the route or in at the at the line of scrimmage. You know, when Jamar Chase sort of hung a number on him the uh, last season, it was uh, sorry, yeah, last season it was it was kind of 
you know, it was a little more concerning. When you when you're going up for a contested catch, any small thing can can knock you out, knock your timing out when you're going for the for the pass breakup. You know, it just it's a it's a little bit potluckish. Um and I'm not I'm not gonna overreact to an extremely small sample size of contested catches. And I get Ravens fans, you know, there's a lot of Ravens fans call it for George Pickens, like we're calling for George Pickens and wish the Ravens had taken Pickens. The the thing I would say with Pickens, um and this might be wholly unfair, but I do feel there may be some there may be something at some point that that blows up Pickens' career a little bit. Like he he's been good. He hasn't been spectacular. He's been solid to good. He's been what we expected him to be in the league. Um, but there's also yeah, I, I, there were all kinds of rumors about him at Georgia. Um, he you know he he was yeah. I, I don't know. I, it's a, it's it's all speculation, and I can't really put anything to it. But it just feels like there were a re, there was a reason a number of teams stayed away from him, and that, those teams are either going to look very silly at the end of his career because he's probably going to have a pretty solid career for a second round pick, or those teams are going to look right. Um, and it's very very early days on George Pickens at this point. Well, stay tuned on that one. Um, the uh, we mentioned the offense uh, getting it done at the end of the game when. The Steelers knew that they were going to run the ball at them, and uh, the Ravens were, were were able to run that clock out. Nevertheless, kind of an embarrassing way for it to finish. If you're the Steelers' defense, getting just uh, bulldozed on on your own home field. Um, so let's wrap that up and go on to J.K. Dobbins of the week. Uh, so, Ian, who's your J.K. Dobbins of the week for this game? Uh, well, you've given me first pick. I was going to leave him actually. I'm going to leave J.K. Dobbins, and, I, and I've got I've got a list because he's too obvious, and he's going to win. And I never pick the obvious one that wins. We'll leave him for Gaz because Gaz likes to win. Um, so I, I, I've got a bit of a list, so I'm going to go through them. I could go Roquan Smith, who I don't think any of us have picked at all for our Raven of the Week yet, um, which I think is criminal because the guys come in and, and change this defense. I could go Anthony Brown, who I think came in and. Yes, he didn't do much, but but he didn't give the ball away. He didn't turn it over. That first play from it from his own end zone, uh, that's that's huge. But I'm going to give it to a guy who I, I guarantee will get none of the vote this week. He's going to get very little of the week, uh, and that's Tyus Bowser. And I think Bowser's been huge for this defense since coming back. He had a sack in this game, but he played seventy percent of the snaps in this game. He's He's rushing the passer at a pretty high level. He's playing the run extremely well. And he's he's the best at what he does, dropping into coverage from from sort of that outside linebacker position in the league. I've no doubt about that. And people are looking at Adafi Owe, and he played 19, 19 snaps in this game, I think, which was a season low. And people are starting to worry, you know, is he a bust? Is he this? Is he that? And I just think this is this isn't a a knock on OA. It's a, this is how good Bowser is. And Bowser's just locking down that side of the field. And he's saying to JPP, Justin Houston, Adafe OA, who are all good players and all deserve playing time. This, this side's mine. You're, you're, you're not getting a spot here. I'm, I'm taking this. You're going to have to fight for scraps on the other side. And he allows the defense. He allows Mike McDonald to do so much. Bowser and Roquan Smith in this defense, I think are the absolute stars that just allow other people to, to go about their business and, and make plays. So I'm going to go with Tyus Bowser, but I guarantee he gets very little of the vote. 
That's a good point. And um, it's also a possible explanation for why Ajabo's debut keeps getting pushed back and back and back. There's just you know not enough snaps to go around at this point. Uh, James, who are you going to pick? So I, I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly with Ian. Um, like I, I, I really agree. <laughs> like the, the 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 way that so I'm going to go with Roquan Smith because I I think um, this was a this was a particularly special game for him. Although he's had a number of really good games for the Ravens, uh, I think the what Ian says is right. Like when you're able to when you're able to be so inflexible with personnel, um, and you're able to keep keep those guys on the field on all downs, it's, it really has changed the changed this defense. When you look at when when you look at this defense from when Roquan Smith came in and from when Tyus Bowser got healthy, it's a very different defense, particularly against the run. Um, it's just it enables them to 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 still play the run at a very at a very high level, um, as well as being able to, to play the pass. It's just it's ridiculously obvious, but have the, the the two of them are so good at at, ev- at, do- at doing all facets of, of the game that allows them to be um, equally as good against the pass as they are against against the run. Um, so it's just it's just useful when you're able to to not have to take those personnel off the field and you don't have to with with Bowser and Roquan. And like you say, it's giving them it's giving it's. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised they've made the calculation to say, you know what, Pierre Paul Houston away. You get about twenty snaps a game to go and make an impact. Go do it, like, uh, and that's that's that seems to be working pretty well at the moment, actually, um, and getting the best out of some veteran pass rushers that really, you know, can't be playing the full game, but are certainly more, you know, for a team that's competing, uh, you just you can't really ju- if you are able to spell them so much, you can't justify having Oway on the field when he's as, as green as he is still. Um, for a team that's competing, that's that's the that's kind of the the bottom line, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I am going to go with with a long explanation, but I'm going to go with Roquan Smith um, and wholeheartedly agree with Ian's point. Sounds good. So I'll I'll um, uh, go along with Ian's suggestion. We'll leave J.K. Dobbins for Gaz. Um, I think he is certainly going to win. But uh, let's go with uh, Justin Tucker as my pick for Raven of the Week because not only did he become the all-time leading points scorer in franchise history, but also it's the fact that you just never question that he's just going to put the points up. Like the, you know, we see week in, week out for other teams, a field goal is a moment where you've got to watch uncertain whether you're going to add three points to your score or not. Um, and with Justin Tucker, he just comes on and you think, yep, he's going to put this one through. Um, very occasionally, of course, that doesn't happen as it does for all kickers, but the reliability is just absolutely extraordinary. And his kicking was essential to this win, particularly when you're talking about a two-point margin. So um, Justin Tucker is my nominee, and uh, we will see what the voters make of that. Um, let's jump into a little bit of news then. So I mentioned earlier Tyler Huntley still in the concussion project, protocol, um, which means he's limited in practice. He's practicing to an extent. Uh, that's probably a good sign if there was any uh, serious evidence of concussion that he wouldn't be in practice at all. So hopefully he will be available to play on Saturday. Don't forget the game is Saturday evening this week. Um, Ian, what do we know about Lamar Jackson and whether, you know, whether when he's likely to return? L- Lamar is not practicing, so I don't think I think if you read 
or listen to anything Harbaugh says. He's not going to give the game away, but I think there's there's very little chance that Lamar is going to be available on on Saturday. Um, just circling back to Huntley, I've just just had a look. He he was out of practice again today. There's conflicting reports from people whether whether he actually had a helmet on or not. A lot of people just saying he was in a sort of hoodie and tracksuit bottoms, just throwing a ball around on the side whilst the other QBs were sort of running around with helmets on. So a, cu- a couple of them said that he did later. Um, so I think you're, you're looking at Huntley starting on Saturday if, if you can. Um, and, and failing that, it's going to be Brown and with, um, Huntley, Hundley. I get those two mixed up, sort of, sort of backing up if, if Tyler can't go, but I think Lamar, no chance for, for Saturday. And uh, the other injury, I guess, that's still up in the air is Kevin Zeidler. Do we know anything about whether Kevin Zeidler is likely to return? Is it still all quiet on him? He's not been practicing at all, has he? He's not been practicing at all. And, and I didn't know there was an awful lot wrong with him last week. He, I mean, he's popped up on the, the injury report before, but he's, he's one of these warriors that sort of never misses a game. I think he, he snapped a, a pretty long streak missing the game on Saturday. So... Um, that was a bit of a shocker when the inactives came out for, for that one. So um, hopefully they get him back sooner rather than later as well. Uh, and otherwise, I think we are generally expecting everybody else to be available for Saturday. Is that right? There's nobody um, nobody else who's sort of lurking with a question mark over them. No, so I think we can kind of assume uh, we're going to have uh, J.K. Dobbins participating probably more, and uh, Ronnie Stanley seems to have come through okay, so uh, hopefully all good to go. Um, We're going to preview that game in a few minutes, but before that we have to do my history slot. I'm going to see if I can get the jingle to introduce this. A Richmond History Yes, so apparently I can. Um, So the last time we played the Browns, I talked about uh, the Browns' move to Baltimore to become the Ravens. Um, And if you've become a fan of the NFL recently, by which I mean, you know, the last 60 years or so, you would assume that the Cleveland Browns are rubbish. But um, they haven't always been. They did used to be pretty good. Uh, And that largely comes down to Paul Brown. Uh, and I mentioned when I talked about the Bengals, the Browns were named after Paul Brown. And uh, when he was sacked uh, from the Browns, he went and started the Bengals as sort of a, a, a rivalry thing. Um, but he's an incredibly important coach. He's basically the guy who invented modern coaching as we know it. He started out with a high school team, the Massillon Tigers in Ohio, uh, which to a British audience just, you know, sounds like he was coaching a bunch of school kids and he was, but they built a 26,000 seat stadium for people to come and watch his team. Um, so popular did he make them. Then he went to Ohio state where he basically created the rivalry with Michigan that's, that carries on to this day and took Ohio to their first national championship. Then the second world war came along and he was in the Navy. His contribution in the Navy basically appeared to be coaching the Navy training based football team. I'm not entirely Entirely sure why that was a militarily necessary objective, but as you can imagine, the football team he coached was pretty good. And as the war was wrapping up, there were a bunch of um, very rich people who figured that the NFL was was kind of wobbling a bit, and uh, that a rival league could come along and challenge it. So they f- they formed the AAFC. 
Um, and they decided that they wanted to put a team in Cleveland and their plan was to have Paul Brown coach it. That was not an obvious thing at the time because the, the Rams were in Cleveland and really doing badly. They were on the brink of moving to Los Angeles and giving up on Cleveland entirely. But they figured that Paul Brown was such a legend in uh, in Ohio that it was worth trying to, to launch a team there. And so so they put Paul Brown in charge. The team was named the Browns. Um, Paul Brown, as I say, incredibly significant uh, head coach, basically invented a whole load of the things that we take for granted that coaches do. So I'm going to try a quiz on you guys now. Um, so which of the following things did Paul Brown invent? A, using film to scout opponents. B, the draw play. C, calling plays from the sidelines, so rather than the QB doing it himself. D, the face mask. Or E, the practice squad. Which of those things did he invent? Uh, no clue. Take a guess. Come on, Jack. Uh The practice squad, because it sounds fun. Okay. James? I'm going to go with um, watching film to evaluate opponents. The answer is all of them. Using using game film to scout opponents, the draw play, calling plays from the sidelines, the face mask, the practice squad. Um, he he didn't just invent those things. He invented uh, the idea of having a year-round coaching staff um, because coaching staff at the time were like players. That at the end of the season, they left and went and got part-time jobs. Uh, he came up with the idea of testing players on their knowledge of playbooks. He used IQ tests and personality tests before anybody else did. And he came up with the idea of keeping players together in the hotel the night before the game. Um, so he took over the, the Cleveland Browns and uh, they won the championship in all four seasons that the AAFC um, survived for. And actually part of the reason for the league's demise is felt to be that the Browns were just too good. And it just made the league less interesting than it could have been because they were winning the whole time. So the AAFC started to struggle. The NFL agreed that they would take the Browns, uh, they would take the 49ers and they would take the Baltimore Colts different Baltimore Colts. So if you've listened to this history slot, we've covered these before. This was a different version of the Baltimore Colts who disappeared. And when the Colts came back into the NFL later, they took the same name. Uh, and so they joined the NFL after four seasons in the AAFC. Burt Bell, who was commissioner of the NFL at the time, used to make the schedule himself. He did it all on um, pen and paper on his kitchen table. And he had decided because everybody in the NFL knew that there was no way the AAFC players were at the same standard. Um, in game programs before, uh, when AAFC teams played NFL teams, for example, the, play, the NFL teams often listed the former AAFC players as having no professional experience. They'd played four years and got paid for four years in the AAFC, but the NFL was so sure of how good they were they didn't consider that to be proper professional football. Um, and so Burt Bell scheduled them to open their first NFL season in Philadelphia against the Eagles, who had won back-to-back -back NFL championships. So it's like creating a new team in today's NFL and sending them to play in Kansas City on the first night of the season. Um, Burt Bell figured this would teach him a lesson. The NFL knew that, you know, there's no way a former AAFC team could compete. Um, the Browns were known for passing. The Eagles kind of viewed that with contempt. Most of the NFL viewed the forward pass as, as basically kind of cheating. The proper football was running the ball. Um, so they didn't really like that. And the Eagles figured that they'd worked out how to stop the pass. What Paul Brown realized from studying them with game film was that um, 
they'd figured out how to stop the pass if you had one or two pass catchers. They could stop you then. But the Browns had three or four, and the Eagles didn't really know that their plan wasn't going to work. What they typically did was they would stick a defensive back out on each pass catcher, just like we do now, but they would also stick a linebacker out there as well. And because there were no real pass interference rules at the time, you could basically just mug the receiver at the line, stop him getting downfield. So you had two guys doing that, and there was no chance of the receiver getting out to actually catch the ball. Paul Brown wasn't worried about that because he had plenty of pass receivers. And he also realized that if you take two of your linebackers out of the middle of the field and stick them over by the uh, by the wide receivers, then he's suddenly got a much lighter box to run to. So he told his offensive linemen to line up each snap just a little bit further apart because as the Eagles' defensive linemen lined up on those guys, they started leaving bigger and bigger gaps between themselves. Uh, and so he would run uh, Marion Motley, who was his big running back, into those gaps when he wasn't throwing the ball. Uh, and as the Eagles corrected that and put more men into the middle, they started attacking the outside. So the Browns threw for 346 yards in 1950. They threw for 346 yards against the NFL champions and won 35 10. Um, and this was, again, you know, they come from a league that was viewed as a joke. There was nobody expecting them to beat the Eagles at all. They just completely destroyed them. The Eagles, understandably, took this well. They were very sniffy about it and said that Brown really should be a basketball coach because he only likes to throw the ball. Uh, so when they met again in week 12 of that season, Paul Brown didn't throw the ball once. They ran every single play and they beat the Eagles 13-7. to uh, so this is a staggeringly good head coach. He coached for 17 seasons. In his first 12 seasons as head coach of the Browns, do you want to take a guess how many championship games he took them to? First 12 seasons. Was it seven? Ian, what's your guess? It can't be more than seven. It can't be. 11. In his first 12 seasons, he took them to 11 title games and he won seven of them. I mean, absolutely staggeringly successful. What started to happen after that was that the rest of the league started to catch up with the things that he'd been doing. So as they started incorporating those things, his lead sort of slowed down somewhat. And also player attitudes changed. He was very authoritarian. He had all these rules about um, players not being allowed to be seen drinking in public, for example. He had rules about what nights of the week they were allowed to have sex. Like incredibly authoritarian rules. Uh, and even in the 50s, players started to revolt against that sort of thing. And so gradually he became less and less effective. And eventually he was fired um, for, for clashing one too many times um, with with the owner of the Browns. He was he basically saw the Browns as his team. And, you know, quite rightly, they'd been named after him. So it wasn't really a surprise. Um, but uh, he left in 1962. Uh, the Browns won a single NFL championship after that in 1964. He never won another title. They haven't won a title since. But um, Paul Brown is an absolute legend of the game, and there is no way that coaching would be the same without him. A Richmond History ah, So yes, on to the Browns of today, who, you know, if you think about it, if if you can remember them winning in 1964, you would now have to be like well into your mid 60s, wouldn't you? So there's there's nobody under that age who can remember the Browns winning a title, which is uh, just mind boggling. Um, so uh, James, what are we what are we going into with the Browns this weekend? I think the 
the the sort of concern I think for me is that um, week three for this offense has not been that great since Deshaun Watson's come back. Like I, I think we need to sort of acknowledge that they really struggled to run the ball against the Bengals as well. That Bengals defense is is very underrated. I've talked about it at length before, but I think it's week three for Watson, so maybe they start to give him a little more. The things that I'm concerned about, I think, on offense are not actually Deshaun Watson. They're more Deshaun Watson making some of those playmakers a little bit more dangerous. The Ravens have always had some trouble with David Njoku, um, and and Watson has the the tools to be able to unlock Njoku's athleticism even more. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a really good game uh, last week. He's quite had a very good season. He was pretty good against the Ravens in the first meeting. So their weapons are a little bit concerning, um, but this is a abject run defense. Like it really is. The Ravens should be able to run all over that defense. Like as long as you are, you know, there are, when when the defense is so weak up the middle as the Browns are, you, you Garrett and Clowney are a problem. But because they're so weak up the middle, you're just able to really expo- exploit it. Like Garrett and Clowney de- end up not being a factor because you're, you're able to exploit all these other holes in their defense when you're running the football. So I just feel like the Ravens should be able to run all over the Browns. Um, and possibly an increase in that offense from on the Browns side keeps it close. Um but I just I'd be surprised with the level that, that this Ravens defense is playing at, and the way that the running game looked this this last weekend against a not half bad rush rush defense, and that they really should be able to run all over the, the Browns Browns defense this weekend and get the win. Um, and so, Ian, the Browns have been struggling a little bit with uh, with injuries. It seems. Yeah, they, they they've been bitten a little bit by the injury bug, and and. To sort of one position, really, the linebacker position, they've just been decimated at. As James said, their their run run defense is, is just awful, and it's not been aided this week by. Uh, I can never say this guy's name, so James James is going to have to do it for me. It's Abusu Koromoa. Is that his? Yeah, yeah, you got it. There we go. There we go. So he he was the guy that they sort of drafted. He was going to be the Lamar stopper, really. He was this this fast, big middle linebacker who, who's going to stop Lamar. Well, he's not going to see Lamar in this game. He's not going to see anyone because he's just been put on, on IR. So he was sort of their, their last standing linebacker, really. Um, and, and as James said, they, they've just been woeful. They, no one on that team seems to want to tackle. Um, I know it's Cl- Clowney's on the injury report today, didn't, didn't practice uh, Monday or Tuesday. So he, he's questionable. So he might be out there. But he's, he's one of those that sort of, you know, they're playing out the string a bit now, the Browns, aren't they? He's one of those that, that's disappeared before down the stretch. Um, and, and as I say, there's, there's just guys on this defense that just don't seem to want to tackle. So uh, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins running at you all day, that, that can't fill them with, with, much, uh, with much joy, I imagine. And James, you mentioned uh, the running game being an area where the Ravens will look to have some success. What are the other keys to the game as you see it? Yeah, I think I think the as I said, I think Njoku is a big stopping Njoku is a is a big key for the Ravens. And um, if they're able to take him away, uh, it doesn't seem like the rest of the the you know it 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 will really hamper Watson's ability to get onto another level with this offense. But of course, the other, the other key to the game, as always with the Browns, is stopping Nick Chubb. You know, Nick Chubb is is the best running back in the in the NFL by a distance. If you want to look at great running back play, just watch watch some Nick Chubb games and watch what he does. Uh, so, you know, 
as always, the key to stopping the Browns, stopping this offense. You know, as much as the we've got the flash of Deshaun Watson and we all want to see him get hit several times over, it's you know the way to the way to win a game against the Browns is is to shut down is to shut down that running game and, and shut down Chubb. Uh, so I, I feel like that's the that really is the main key to the game. I think for this week. Uh, so let's do some predictions then, um, Ian. What do you reckon for this game? Uh, so I'm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. Ravens twenty, Browns sixteen. So I'm, I'm going for a win. Um, I think, as as James said, stop stopping Chubbs the the sort of the key. Um, and and the Ravens have been really good at stopping the run, especially keep harping back to it since Rokon Smith came in. Uh, they're, they're currently second in the NFL in sort of rush yards allowed per game, only only behind the 49ers who are absurd defense. So they, they've been stopping the run. I think they can handle Chubb. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put a lot of faith in Kyle Hamilton as well, going up against uh, David and Joku. So I'm going Ravens 20, Browns 16. For my player prop, I'm going to say two Baltimore Ravens go over a hundred rushing yards. Okay. Uh, James, what about you? Uh, so I'm going to go uh, Ravens. I can't go as close as, I'm just gonna. I'm just. Not, I'm not gonna bother with trying to amend my score prediction because Ian basically went and said, "I'm gonna go Ravens twenty, Browns 17. I think it's gonna be around that score. I'd be very surprised if it's not. I would imagine it's under forty points total. Uh, and I think uh, I'm gonna go on a rushing front as well, but slightly different. I'm gonna go that uh, Dobbins has uh, over 150 rushing yards in this game, um, which I, I would not be surprised. Wow. Um, yeah, I agree with you guys. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points in this one. Um, and I've been quite, I quite enjoyed last weekend having predicted a loss and, and been wrong and they won. That was quite satisfying. But, um, my gut feeling is that the Ravens are going to win this one. I do, I do have to kind of go with my gut. I think 17 10 to the Ravens is how I see it. Uh, and I'm going to say for a player prop that Devin Duvernay scores a rushing touchdown. It's going to be my player prop. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we will see how that turns out. As I say, Saturday night, 9.30. It's on Game Pass. It's on Sky. Um, so uh, you can watch that one and then put your feet up and watch um, uh, watch Red Zone on Sunday evening. Uh, now, before we wrap up, uh, James, we lost um, a, a hugely significant figure in the world of coaching this week with uh, the death of Mike Leach, who was only 61 years old. Um, people who don't follow college football probably have not really come across Mike Leach, but his influence is still clear in the NFL nevertheless. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, I just wanted to to sort of mark it because I, his passing because I think I get I get a bunch of um, messages sometimes from from other UK Ravens fans asking me about like how how to get into how to get into scheme in the NFL and try and sort of understand and learn learn scheme and because my background in terms of the the years I've been doing stuff with with American football is is mostly player evaluation, but. Scheme is really important to player evaluation. So the more you learn about scheme, the better evaluator you can be. And I think the way I learned about scheme really was by learning about different coaches and who have originated different offenses throughout the throughout the years of, of, of football. And, and high school and college is definitely a real incubator for, for different um, ski, for different schemes. And Mike Leach was one of the first sort of. Um, like one of the first people that I that I sort of looked at a coach and looked at the scheme that they ran and started to learn things about scheme. Um, 
so it, I would just encourage people to go and look at his career and look at what he's done. He he started his career. Well, actually, he didn't start his career here, but where he really went, got on the map was at Iowa Wesleyan, which is a tiny, um, tiny college. Um, and he went there with Hal Mummy, and and Hal Mummy and uh, Mike Leach were the 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 fathers of the of the air raid offense, um, which just pervades a lot of football now across college and the NFL. He. You know, he, 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 his, his mantra really was that you could overcome a talent deficiency in your offense if you spread out your offense um, and run reasonably simple, simple plays. You know, most of his passing concepts, things like mesh, were, were very, a very simple passing concepts. And, and there wasn't a, a great big playbook. It was just the same passing concepts ran slightly differently each time. And he would spend a couple of years building an offense to a point where it was, where it was really good. Because they would run different, they would the receivers would do different things based on what the defense was doing, and so they had these simple concepts, but different things built off of those concepts based on what the defense was doing. And he got to a point where a quarterback would be so ingrained in the in the scheme that he would be able to just call a formation, and then the quarterback would call the play at the line of scrimmage. Um, he he felt like those he I, I I loved his kind of philosophy about the fact that he sort of put the power and the authority in the hands of the people who are out on the field to sort of to to um to really sort of take the glory and to to to, to run the offense and and it was show it shows really with the with the quarterbacks that were under his tutelage that have gone on to be um had really quite successful head coaches you've got um uh, Josh Heupel who's just turned the University of Tennessee around and had a, they had a great season last year um he, he's you know he's primed to be a, a great another great sec head coach lincoln riley who's just gone to oklahoma and caleb williams is his quarterback and he's just won the heisman trophy and lincoln riley had a ridiculous offenses at oklahoma um, and of course cliff kingsbury as well who was at texas tech and is now with the cardinals all three of those were, were quarterbacks in mike leach systems um, and it just shows the kind of development of players that he got to he was a controversial guy and wasn't without without um <laughs> without some controversy around his career um but uh, an amazing offensive mind and um, yeah, gone really too soon. And I think um, I just wanted to talk about him, especially linking back to your, to, to what you were talking about earlier, Shane, with Paul Brown. Like, I think that's the way to kind of learn about scheme in the NFL and, and in college and in football in general, go and go and research some of the great offensive minds, great defensive minds and minded coaches over the years and, and, and see what they did and see how they, they changed the game. And Mike Leach was one of those guys. Yeah, so uh, that is a great recommendation. Thanks very much for that, James. Uh, if you want to know more about Mike Leach, he wrote a book called Swing Your Sword, which was one of his catchphrases. He was very into pirates. Um, and he wrote, I think he wrote a book about pirates. Am I right about that? Um, pretty sure I think he, he did. He did, yeah. Yeah, he was a very odd guy. He had a few strange, there were a few lawsuits against him from players and things. He had some very strange relationships with some players. Uh, he got exonerated on a lot of those counts, actually, but. Um, yeah, he, he was an interesting guy, but um, yeah, he, uh, an absolute genius, really, in terms of coaching. Coaching. 
Uh, also a big supporter of Donald Trump, but don't hold that against him. He's far from unusual amongst uh, head coaches for, as far as that goes. Um, but there's a book called The Perfect Pass by a guy called Sam Gwynn, which is about Hal Mummy and uh, Mike Leach, and particularly their time at Wesleyan and how they developed the air raid. Um, spends, there's like a whole chapter on mesh. Uh, but it's a very, very readable book. It's written kind of in the style of um, Michael Lewis, if you know the guy who wrote Moneyball and The Blind Side and that kind of stuff. So if you are interested in, in what James has talked about. Uh, I recommend getting a copy of that book. It's out of print now, but you can find secondhand copies um, you know, pretty easily. It's very easy to get secondhand books from the States these days. Uh, so um, we will finish on that, uh, on that sad note. Um, and uh, we'll be back with you next uh, Thursday, which is the 22nd of December, when we'll be reviewing the Ravens' win over the Cleveland Browns, rounding up any news that has happened in between and previewing the Christmas Eve game against the Atlanta Falcons, which maybe, rumour has it, the game where uh, Lamar Jackson uh, returns, but don't hold your breath. Uh, if you'd like to be involved with the show, please email us at ukravensshow at gmail.com. And until next week, let's go Ravens! Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. Good. Right. My stop button is... Oh, there it is.